0: Good morning. Good morning. Excited to be here with you. If you're a guest in the house, my name is Corey, one of the pastors on staff. Get to be your uh, teaching pastor uh, today. And so uh, to kind of get you caught up on where we're at, we're currently in a series in First Corinthians called Corinth Q&A, looking at 16 chapters in the book of Corinthians, 16 questions that we believe uh, could have been asked Uh, during that time. And so each week, we've uh, been looking at a different question. And and last week was, what is Christian liberty? And so within the context then of what is Christian liberty, if you missed that sermon, grab that sermon, um, then we also now are are looking at what is uh, or should a pastor uh, receive compensation? So you know we're going to have some fun (laughs) with this text uh, today. And so uh, should a pastor receive compensation? Uh, I think it's an interesting question uh, because people still ask me this question. This is probably... Honestly, like one of the number one questions I have been asked in nine plus years of getting to be a, you know, a lead pastor uh, in a church, and so especially folks who do not like, know who Jesus is, they don't have a biblical understanding for what it means to be the church, Like that's a good and appropriate question to be asked. And so I've been asked things like, what do you do besides preach? I think that's a good question to ask. I'm like, nothing, man, just pay me for 45 minutes, 50 sometimes minutes, you know? A week or, or get asked a lot, like, well, do you have another job? Is being a pastor your only job? And I'm like, I don't know how it would fit anything else in. It is my only job. Yes. And uh, how do you get paid? I got asked that question uh, two weeks ago at jujitsu. Jitsu. I had a guy ask, like, how, do you, how do you get paid? So I talked to him about uh, tithing, which we don't talk a lot about at Heights, but we're going through today. And um, <laughs> why don't you uh, get a real job? That's a fun one for me. And so, why don't, why don't you just get a real job? I'm like, Well, that's that hurts a little bit, you know, it's like, would you say that to anyone else in any other form of non-for-profit organization? You wouldn't say that uh, to them, and so especially, and then whenever I was uh, fundraising, when I had to fundraise initially, before any of you showed up, it was just seven of us that thought this was a good idea, not the hundreds of people that call this home now, I had to raise, got to raise, uh, raised $114,000 in eight months, and $35,000 of that was my salary, so I got in it for the money, you know, and Um, but people said the most harsh things to me that you could ever imagine. Why would we give you money? Why don't you just go to another church? Does the world really need another church? And so there's a lot of things that I have been asked, but I will say, I know you're not, some of you may be church planners eventually. Fundraising was the best thing that ever happened to your pastor because it puts you in a, puts me then in a position to say, do I really believe what I say I believe? And do I really believe God is calling me to do what I believe he's calling me to do? And nine out of 10 people of that list of 300 names will tell you no. Nine out of 10 will tell you no. And it was hard, but it was great for our family. Should a pastor be compensated is the question. So a big idea for you is this. The pastor's compensation must not outweigh his compulsion. The pastor's compensation must not outweigh his compulsion. What I mean by that is the His compulsion to preach the gospel should be much greater than his compensation for preaching the gospel. Uh, His compulsion to make disciples should be far greater and exceed anything he could ever receive financially from a body of Christ or from people individually. His compulsion to hang out with non-Christians, to live on mission, to surround himself or myself with people that think differently than me, act differently, talk differently, look differently than I do. That compulsion must always outweigh my compensation. And so there's three points to get you there this morning, which are, they do fit the text and they are kind of funny, but they do fit the text. Now, the first point is yes, like yes and amen, the pastor should, most certainly deserves Compensation. Uh, The second point is, well, maybe. Uh, You know, some of those pastors, they need to go to jail. They don't deserve any money. Well, maybe. Paul says, I didn't take any money, so well, maybe. And then the last one is, it it sort of depends. So yes, well, maybe, and it kind of sort of depends on if they're going to be preaching the gospel or not. So hopefully these three points uh, will make sense. The pastor's compensation must not outweigh his compulsion. If you're ready, everybody say yes. All right, thanks for being on my team here. Last week uh, was the lesson, okay, and this week is the lab. Last week was the lesson, this week's the lab. You've heard that language before, you get the lesson, then you get the lab. So last week, we did look at, at what Paul had to say about Christian liberty and the freedom to abstain from certain things in life. In this case, or last week's case, he was talking about uh, eating meat that had been sacrificed uh, to false idols. And we looked at the question, what is Christian liberty? And so Christian liberty is not just what you get to do, but it's also about the freedom to abstain from some things that you get to do. So last week was that lesson. This week, Paul, the apostle Paul, is going to model what it looks like to actually walk out Christian liberty. He's going to say, I Actually abstained from some compensation. that's really going to be the second point, but I want you to keep the context of Corinth in mind, and so we 've talked about this almost every week. Uh, the culture of Corinth there had some of the greatest debaters and philosophers in human history many of which we would still quote today, we can still read about today. So they had these great debaters of their time, and there was an expectation that as these great debaters would come in, they would give these really beautiful oratory displays of their wealth of wisdom, and in response then, the people that they gave this oratory display to would then compensate them. They would receive a compensation for their oratory work out there in the public sphere or the public square. And so, what's interesting about this This is that Corinth is upset with Paul, it seems, because he did not ask for compensation from them. Now, I don't know about you, but it's usually whenever someone asks me for money that I have a question for them, right? Like, what am I paying you for? What's this? Are you sure this is right? You know, it's not when you're like, hey, don't worry about it. I'm like, peace. (laughs) And so I'm not going to dialogue much about that, right? The church here, though, is upset because Paul had not given them a receipt. Instead, he says, I'm not actually going to ask for payment from me. If we had a guess, it has to do because of the, the orators of that time came with an expectation of payment. And if you've been with us now this last nine weeks, you know that Paul has come at the church of Corinth in a completely countercultural way. And so if you just think with me for a moment, all the way back to chapter 1, chapter 2, 1 uh, Corinthians said, Paul says, I didn't come with lofty speech, if you remember. He says, I didn't come with some sort of special wisdom to give to you. I didn't come to appease the crowds. I most certainly didn't come to be judged by any of you that are in here. Rather, we talked about he came with the simplicity of the gospel. And it was the simplicity of the gospel message in concert with the power of the Holy Spirit that revealed just how powerful the gospel was. And now he's coming here, even more counterculture, and he's saying, Hey, I don't want to be paid by you. And it caused them to question him. Which leads us into now first Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. If you're new to Heights, we don't do anything real slick here. We just preach straight through books of the Bible. So Corinthians 9, 1. If you're ready, say I'm ready. Am I not free? He says. Paul's gonna hit him with 15 rhetorical questions today. This is the first one. Am I not free? Of course you're free. Am I not an apostle? Of course you're an apostle, Paul. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord, right, when he knocked him off his horse? They would say, yes, of course. If, if to others I am not an apostle, well, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He's saying, you're actually the evidence That I am who I say I am. You are the evidence that I am preaching the gospel. I have been proclaiming the work of Jesus. I literally planted you as a church, started you as a church. If anyone else doubts my apostleship, oh, you can look at the work of my labor and see it. You guys tracking with that? Verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. And so the judge, the church has been judging the Apostle Paul based off of his oratory work, based off his asking for compensation, not based off the Bible, not based off the Word of God, not based off the calling of God that God has placed upon Paul as evidence of them being in existence They're questioning him, examining him. They're using, though, a worldly standard and measure to examine this apostle instead of a biblical standard and measure. And so let me be clear here. I think this is important, especially as we get uh, into tithing. Those of you that are new to Heights Community, perhaps you think we're just about the money. If you've been here longer than six weeks, you know we regularly forget to even mention tithing on a Sunday service. So with your stories in mind, let me be clear about something it is good and right for you to examine your current pastors as well as your potential future pastors. And so when you come into Heights community, we have something we call elder candidacy that we're going to celebrate on November 12th when we invite two men to be elders, to be pastors in this church. If you've been here for long enough, you know that whenever there's two men that are coming in to potentially be pastors, we have them come up on stage and we invite you to do what? We invite you to examine them. We say, hey, you have a year, year and a half. We want you to put your eyes on these men and their family. Invite them into your lives. Invite them into your homes. Get out and spend some time with them. If you find any fault with these men, let us know. Those men, by extension, when they come up on stage, they're saying, hey, we want to be open to examination. Examination. We want you to peer into our lives. Think about how scary that would be to stand up in front of hundreds of people and say that. We want you to get to know all the dark and nasty things about us as well as the good. So to be clear here, examination is right. Some of you have come from churches where your pastors didn't allow you to examine them. So then things like talks of money start to then rub you a little with a little bit of discomfort. We don't want that to be a family like that. Likewise, we want you to examine us as current pastors, as current elders. Those lords are synonymous in our church. And so, whenever you become a covenant member or as you pursue covenant membership, there's a little document inside of your membership covenant that says, Here are what your pastors are called to do, biblically speaking, not based off the world, not based off some standard of society and culture, but based off the Bible. This is what we are called to do. If we do not do these things, your responsibility as covenant members is to examine us, to hold us accountable, to say, hey, you're not fulfilling your end of the deal, right? Examination is good. I know I shouldn't have to say that, but based off the stories I've heard the last nine months, some of you just need to be set free to know this is a safe space where you can come up to me with a problem or an issue, and I'll go, I'll hear, I hear you out, and then I take it to the other elders and say, hey, here's what has been come against me. We clear on that? You also then, let me say, need to be in prayer for your pastors, Because it is a great deal of weight to have to set under that examination. Many of you don't understand what that feels like. You've not been called to set under the weight of that examination yet. I have. I know exactly what it feels like to always be under the microscope for 500 plus people. I know what it's like to, for everyone to kind of come in and, and know my wife, but not actually know who my wife is, but recognize her when she walks in the room. She knows what that feels like. I know what it's like to have kids that come up to me and they say, Dad, how do they know that about me? And I say, because when you're bad, you become a sermon illustration. <laughs> Lock it up. Lock it up. Or get told on. <laughs> I said, I started that whole session with pray for us. You remember that, remember that part? <laughs> Listen, when I go to work, my whole family's on display. It is a lot of weight. Many of you will finish out your career, your whole family not known. But it is a good and joyful calling that we have been invited into. But I would say, pray for us. Because it is a lot of work. It's a lot of work for the staff to constantly be under display as well. But specifically in regards to pastors. So the examination, hear me now is good. The examination is right. It is We want it here. Like We want to be a healthy family. So we invite the examination. I would say Paul would invite the examination as well, but they're not holding him to a biblical standard now. They're holding him to a worldly standard. And so Paul says, am I not your apostle? That is, am I not the the father of the church, if you want to use that word? Are you not even a church? Are you not a church because I planted you? Paul's like, I started the church in Corinth. You are evidence of my calling. You're evidence of the spreading of the gospel. You're evidence of the power of God on display in the people of God if you, as you've changed a whole entire region. He's saying, are you not the evidence of my labor? And then he continues now to ask these rhetorical questions. He's asked four. Here are a few more for you. Verse four, we're just going to talk through these. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? He would say, yes. All these would require a yes, right? Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Of course you do, Paul. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? As do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, like Kepha. That's just, that's Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? He's saying, is it because I'm single that maybe you think one should perhaps not be paid? He's like, of course I should be paid. He just didn't ask for it. Verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Right? The government pays for that, although many soldiers pay with their lives. Amen. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Of course, if you had a vineyard, you would walk through and eat of the grapes. Yeah? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? If you're a shepherd, of course you're going to benefit uh, from the sheep or from the cattle. Uh, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? And so what's beautiful about that is Paul could have just came in literally as an apostle and said, Hey, I deserve some compensation here. Give me what's due. Now, it wouldn't have been very humble of him but it is in the law. He says, I'm not just saying this on my own authority because I'm in this position as an apostle, but rather, and then he quotes Deuteronomy 24, I believe, verse nine. He says, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. He says, like, you should not cover the ox's mouth as he's doing his word because he deserves a compensation. Of course he's going to eat of the grass and the grain along the way. Does He not certainly speak that for our sake. Verse 10, it was written for our sake because the plowman should plow and hope and the thresher thresh and hope of sharing in the crop. Now, this is an agrarian culture, so it's different than our culture. He's talking about the men and women who would have been out sifting the wheat from the chaff on the threshing floor. If you read the book of Ruth, you can read all about that. he's saying, of course, they're gonna eat a little bit along the way. It's part of their compensation. It's what's due to them. Verse 11, if we have sown now, listen, If we have sown spiritual things among you, which last forever, by the way, church, is it too much if we reap material things from you now? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? And so he's saying, right, everything that he's asking is a rhetorical question so that the church body would say, well, of course, if we're going to pay some outsider to come in, of course we should pay you to come in. If, if, if God is going to take care of the animals of the harvest and the people of the harvest, of sure, of course we should take care of you. All the questions that are asked are so that one would say, give a resounding yes. And then he says, hey, this isn't even on my own authority, but sometimes Paul, if you read in 1 Corinthians, does say, hey, this is I, not the Lord, that's telling you this as an apostle. But here he says, no, 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 this isn't on my authority. This is actually in, in accordance with the law. This is what you've been commanded to do based off of the book of Deuteronomy. If God's not going to take care of the ox and the humans, like, should you not also model what is being modeled here. And so there was a resounding yes and amen. Should the pastor be compensated? Should the apostle, in this case here, be compensated? Of course he should. At the same time, though, at the same time, recall the big idea if you wrote it down. The pastor's compensation must not outweigh his compulsion. The pastor's compensation must not outweigh his compulsion. Should pastors be compensated? Absolutely, yes and amen, Let's continue. We get to break this up a little bit here. Let's continue in verse 12. Nevertheless, Paul says, okay, we'll come back. We're going to read 12, but we'll come back to it in point number two. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, uh, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in sacrificial offerings? In the same way, The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul is very clear. There is a resounding yes. And then he says, nevertheless, which we will come back to here in a moment. He says, of course. And so he hits with some more rhetorical questions here. He says, did the priests not eat the meat of the sacrifice? You'd say, of course they do. There's a lot of things I want to say about that, but that's worth saying. Let's say it. He says, do the, do the priests not get to eat the meat of the sacrifice? Of course they do. Listen, there are a lot of pastors in the world that eat a little bit too much meat. They take a little bit too much, than what they're, a little bit more than what they're owed. And you can see those cats flying around in jets. And you see their faces on the front of books. And they are an abomination to the Christian faith. And the Lord has a special place for them in hell. Is that clear enough? We do not stand for a prosperity gospel. Don't get it twisted just because we're talking about tithing. Okay? There are some that take too much. Pick a little too much off the bone. And so do the priest, and I get to eat of the sacrifice. He's saying, yes, the Lord, listen, the Lord provides for the workers of the temple through the people of God. Let me teach you about the tithe, because it is important. The tithe here is literally a tithe. A tithe means 10%. A tithe means 10% of everything whenever it came to Israel. Not just finances, kind of like what we think about it in America, it was 10% of everything. The tithe was 10% of their material resources. It was 10% of their financial resources. It was 10% of their agrarian resources when it came to their livestock. Literally, it was 10% of their land. The, the people of God were meant to leave 10% of the land for the Levitical priest so that they would always have a place to harvest and a place to eat, a place to work, and so on and so forth. So they'd always have a land to be able to build temples. And so it was 10% of literally everything that had been given to them. And when you look at 10% of your whole entire situation, your whole portfolio, that's like 40% of their giving was unto the temple. That's how they had sacrifice. It's how they had the beauty in the temple. It's how everything was accomplished was through the people of God, by the command of God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the church to respond to the gospel He doesn't say, hey, give your money because I'm legalistic or give your money because this is some religious attempt to be able to earn more for myself. He says, no, with the gospel in mind, church family, you respond to the tithe. You respond in a tithe. You look at all that Jesus has done. He's lived the perfect life. First off, he left his kingdom to come here. And then he lives the perfect life, and then he dies the most humiliating death, and then he resurrects the new life, and then he sends you his very power, and he bursts a church. And then literally, we now, 2,000 years later, can look across human history with space and science and time, and we can go, there has literally never been an explosion of a message of the, like like the gospel in human history across every culture and time and space and language across men, women, and children for millennia. Like if anything, because Jesus has come, the tithe does not decrease. If anything, because of what Christ has done, the tithe only increases because of what he's done. Does that make sense for you? You're like reluctantly nodding because we're talking about money, but it's true. Like, I think, I think so. I just don't want to respond to it today, you know. 2 Corinthians, though, he says, now, with that in mind, this is the next letter, he says, with that in mind, the church body is called to give joyfully, right, generously, sacrificially, and in proportion to their income. He says you're called to give generously. The only way you can give generously is if you believe you've been given to generously in Christ. Otherwise, it'll just be flippantly, not generously. Those are two different things. The only way that you can give sacrificially is if you've looked upon the cross of Christ and you've seen the sacrifice of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is the firstborn son of creation hanging in your place, willingly hanging in our place for the redemption of our sins. That is a sacrifice. You have to know that sacrifice to be able to give sacrificially. And then he said, you give in proportion to your income. And that's important. Because there's some cats that'll get up on a stage and say, hey, you need to give everything. Or they'll say something ridiculous like, I just feel the Lord telling me somebody's going to give $100 today. You're like, get out of here. Change the channel, channel 4 at 3 a.m. or whatever you're looking at. That's called a prosperity gospel. And they'll get up and they'll say, hey, if you give money, God will give you favor. If you give some, oh, if you just give some money, God will give you relationship. Oh, he'll heal your grandma. he will That's nonsense. You can give every dollar you own and you might walk out the door pancreatic cancer. We have no idea what the Lord is going to do. You don't give so you get anything. That's a prosperity gospel. You give because you've been given literally everything. At the same time, you don't do a poverty gospel where these cats walking around without shoes on like it's for Jesus. He's like, I gave you the grace of shoes. Put on some shoes, guy. That's why he made them, you know? But they walk around with nothing and like, oh, it's for Jesus. And it's like, no, Jesus gave everything so that you could have much not so that you would spoil yourself in that way, but so that you don't have to walk around without some doggone shoes on for the name of Jesus. For Israel, the tithe was ten percent of their money, their food, their livestock, their resources—literally all of their materials. This is how everything was sustained. And I would—I want to reiterate again: the tithe has not decreased in Christ. Although we have been set from the from the law, that is true. If anything, the tithe has only increased. Because we know exactly what Christ has done, and that is that he's done exactly what he said he would. And so the priests now are called to live within their means, dependent upon the people of God. My family has to be on display in front of you, living within my means, just as God has called me to do. And so I would ask you as your pastor to the people, do you live within your means? Are you living within the means that God has provided for you? And can you see that in your life as evidence of your tithes and offerings? We have a very generous God who has said, you keep 90% of everything I give you. I'll take 10. Let's see who can do more. And then he does an exponential amount whenever the people of God gather together. Let me ask you some rhetorical questions. Do you believe that God is advancing the gospel in Heights community? Do you believe that this new building has been helpful and beneficial in many ways? I'll tell you, we weren't all fitting in that old building, were we? Are you proud to call Heights home? Have you seen evidence of God moving, not just in your life, not just in other people's lives, but specifically in your life? Do you see new evidence of God's grace and mercy and kindness in your life? Are you growing in your understanding of the gospel? Are you being challenged in ways you've never been challenged before, to walk out community and to live on mission, right? If if those rhetorical questions lead you to to a resounding yes, then I would say, then contribute to the mission. Like, it's not because I'm asking, just because the gospel has called you to respond to the gospel through the word of God. And Paul said, contribute then. If you believe that the gospel is advancing, then you contribute. And this is a gracious God. And he goes, hey, keep 90. I just said it, but keep 90. I'll do 10. And when my people come together, oh, that's how we support someone like Mike Bird in a culture that will never be self-sustaining. That's how we get to, and why we get to pray for someone like Mario, who's moved his whole family here from Mexico to plant a church, right? And we get to come alongside him financially and serve him. This is easy to take care of, right? It's the mission of God. This is part of the mission, but it's the literal mission in sending people out. That's where our dollars go in this church. It's Paul Fernandez who's out there in Belleville, who got to go and plant a church, and you all put together money in a church planning budget. We sent him $10,000 to pay for a seminary. Like, we have a pretty generous church, but there's also some in the room who have not responded, and in so doing, there's a lack of joy you feel right now. You're like, who's Mario? You know why you don't know who Mario is? It's not just because we haven't brought him up on stage in six weeks. It's because you're not invested in the mission. You pay attention to what you invest in. Who's Paul Fernandes? It's not because he hasn't, we haven't had his picture up on a screen in a couple months. It's because in your lack of giving, it reveals a lack of mission. You're not on mission. Well, you're on mission for some things, but it ain't Christ-like. There's a lot of things we tithe to. This ain't in my notes. This is free. There's a lot of things you tithe to right now altar of Lululemon, Netflix, subscription software that you forgot about, you still tied into it. Fast food, things that are just killing you that we give our money to because it makes us feel some type of way. Nothing will give back to you better than the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. Is it right for Paul to say, take compensation? Yes and amen. Is it right for Paul to not take compensation? Yes and amen. Second point is, well, maybe. Well, maybe. I did snicker because that is where I wrote. Some of those cats need to go to jail. So, uh, Paul slips in there, right? Uh, verse 12 and 15. I'm going to put them both up for you. Uh, verse 12, I said we'd come back to. He says, nevertheless, we've not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. We'll come back to that. Verse 15 now, where we're landing here. But I have made no use of any of these rights Nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Boasting in Christ, that is. And so, Paul, it makes sense then he would not take compensation from the people of God there in Corinth because they believed, listen to me, they believed that their giving compensation is what gave power to the message. Like they believe that if one to come in and ask for something from them, if they were to give money, right, the more they gave, well, then more powerful the message would be. Does that make sense for you? And so Paul comes in and he's like, I ain't asking for any money because the gospel is all the power that it needs. It is the power of God on display for people. He's saying, you are the power of God on display as evidence of your salvation, as evidence of the church being planted, that you cannot add or subtract to the gospel. There is no such thing as Jesus plus, right? There's no such thing as Jesus and. There's Jesus coming, life, death, burial, resurrection, and that is enough. And so he's being clear with them, right? He doesn't need them to pay because if they do, they might think that they've done something more than what the power of the Holy Spirit has done. That's the context of the Scripture. So is it appropriate to take compensation? Yes. Is it inappropriate or, un- or not appropriate at times? You can say, well, maybe. Well, maybe. And there's a lot of different reasons why one might not take compensation. So I'll just tell you some of my personal reasons. First off, I don't know if you all know this, uh, but the Lord blessed me with a holy hottie down here. Uh, <laughs> Who, who also happens to be a nurse practitioner. So she's like a sugar mama as well, right? And, and so there's, there is a reality here for me, right, where we, from the beginning of our church plant, have always taken less compensation because we knew the trajectory of our, we had an idea of the trajectory of our careers, and so the reality is, like, I've always made a little bit less than another pastor in my position with the church size that I have because we financially just don't need some of that compensation, if we're being honest. We're not motivated by money as a family. This is a calling. It is not a career. And it's the church's responsibility to step in and make up some of the finances that we cannot make up. And that's, a de- that's an appropriate reason to take compensation now, if you think about that, we do mention Paul Fernandes, who just planted a church in Belleville. He's a single, fam, single earner income in his home. So he makes quite a bit more money than $30,000, $40,000 more than I do, because he doesn't have a wife that's working. If there was a time, you need to know, if there's a time where the Lord sets Andrea free from being a nurse practitioner, I would come to the elders. I, would, I wouldn't be like, hey, I need $130,000 more. I would say, hey, We're going to need a little bit of help here. We need a little bit more increased compensation. I think they look and say, absolutely, we believe the Lord has called you to that. At the same time, I get paid to go preach places. Whenever I go preach at other places, somewhere between $500 and $1,000 a pop to go preach somewhere. Now, some pastors, they spend too much time preaching outside of their church because they're too motivated by compensation, right? I regularly do not go places to speak. I've spoke more in the last year than I've spoken nine years anywhere. I don't like to go preach. You're my... People, you're stuck with me. Okay, you're my people, you're my people, and this is where I want to be. If I go to Paul Fernandes and he tries to pay me, what do I say? I say, Bro, you don't. Have any money. You can't, don't <laughs> pay Why would you do that? It's so stupid. Don't pay me. I love you. We give you money. You don't give us money. If we want to Pastor Mike Bird's, right, I would not expect any form of compensation because it would not help in the advancement of the gospel. It doesn't help for Paul to pay. It doesn't help for Pastor Mike Bird to pay. Now you go to Mark Sickness Church, that dude's got like 1,600 people in that mug, right? Like, thank you for your financial donation to the Johnson family. <laughs> thank you so much. And so there are times. There are countless scenarios why one would say no. We regularly say no in our family. We typically just say no by not going, Um, but we would regularly say no to our brothers even. Our brothers just in the area that we love and and get to do ministry with. We don't expect any compensation from them. And so this is important, okay? It's not that, I know it's not that big of a deal, but I want to encourage you uh, here a little bit and discourage you a little bit. An encouraging discouragement for you. Not everyone will be called to the pastorate, okay? I pray that some of you men are. Praise the Lord if He calls you. Not everyone will be called to the pastorate, but everyone in the room is called to be a missionary if you profess faith in Jesus Christ. And so to quote quote the great Charles Spurgeon, he says every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or he's an imposter or she's an imposter. Some of you now think you have a career, but you have a calling. And the problem you have with your job, your boss, your vocation, the reason you don't want to wake up in the morning, afternoon, or night and go to work is because you still think you have a career, but the Lord has placed upon you a calling. And you need to hear the word of the Lord today. Some of you are so dissatisfied with your vocation because you're in it at the idol, at the idol of compensation over the compulsion to share the gospel. And so, of course, you lack a joy when it comes to your Work, but God has not given you first a career, He's given you a calling. Your calling then is to be a missionary everywhere you eat, everywhere you work, everywhere you play. Your calling then, hear me, is to be a minister of the gospel in everywhere that you are going. This is what you are first and foremost called to do, right? It is to be a minister of the gospel. In the moment, this is important because the moment that you understand this is not about career, it's about a calling. You'll no longer be motivated by money. It'll just be a motive. It'll be a motive, perhaps, to be able to get your bills paid. That just makes sense. But do you get what I'm saying? Like the moment you view it like a calling instead of a career, you view it like a mission field instead of a place where you just get paid, there is freedom that comes in the gospel then, where this is like, this is my missional community. This is where God has placed me. And I want you to think about that. Here comes the encouraging part. Here's what I want you to think about. The God of heaven and earth that keeps the earth spinning on its axis and the sun burning hot and not a speck of dust Dust will fall in this room that he has not accounted for, for where it is going to fall. Has looked upon you and looked at you and you and said, here's your unique gifting. Here's your unique character traits. This is how I've designed you, son. This is how I've designed you, daughter. And he's uniquely placed you among a people that may or may not yet be his. Think about that. Of all the places you could work and all the people you could rub shoulders with, right now in your mind you're like, I don't think that person's gonna make it in. I just think he's not gonna, just not gonna, it's not gonna work on that one, Lord. You know, I get it. I didn't say you had to like them. I did say you had to be a missionary towards them. And so God, the thing about that, of all the places, all the things, all the skill sets, all the giftings He could have gave, He strategically placed you, so that there are men and women in your life, man, that could look upon Him and call Him Father one day. Right, just because your coworkers have a creator does not mean that they yet have a father. And that's why you exist there. Are you tracking with that? And so you're, thank you, John. It's very clear and nice of you. The question is not, right, should I be compensated? The question is, have you responded to the advancement of the gospel in, it, in the everyday stuff of life? Tithing included in that. Are you responding to the advancement of the gospel in the everyday stuff of life? That is the question. Many of you now, many of you forego compensation regularly and often. And I want to say thank yous. As I thought about that this week, I was thinking hairstylists, carpenters, electricians, mechanics, lawyers, IT professionals, doctors even taking calls. Many of you forego compensation for the advancement of the gospel on a regular basis. And there's more vocations that we could put in there for you. You do that for the advancement of the gospel. You do that as a missional attempt. You do that as family in the church body as well as outside of the church body. And I think it's just worth noting, like, that's a beautiful picture of what we call missional community at heights. Like, that's a beautiful picture to say, hey, I do deserve some compensation here. God has designed me in this way to be compensated. And at the same time, for the sake of the gospel, I'm going to forgo that compensation. I think that's beautiful and awesome. I think that is absolutely unincredi- I mean, incredible. I think you've looked at that and said money is not the motivator. It is not a career. It is 100% a calling. Praise God for you in this moment. That is unbelievable. It's one of the reasons we're so healthy as a church. If you have a career over a calling now, that's what will lead you to love your neighbor as yourself. If you have a career, I'm sorry, if you have a, if you have a calling over a career, that is what will lead you to love your neighbor as yourself. If you have a calling over a career, that's what keeps you from putting any other God above your God, right? Believing you have in fact been called by God to the place that you are. When you have a calling over a career, that's what frees you from the idols of money. And yes, they, they help with bills. They do some great things. You go on vacation. You do all the incredible things. But at the same time, you understand these are just temporal resources that God has given so that I can advance the kingdom of God. Here's going to be the discouraging thing for you. What has blown my mind most in the last nine years of pastoral ministry in this way is when the people of God get stressed out, they run from the people of God. Whenever people feel overwhelmed and they say things like, I'm going to stop serving in kids. Kids are very stressful back there. We get 170 of those little monsters. We understand. Four of them are mine. I apologize. (laughs) I'm going to stop serving on hospitality because, and so let me just ask you a couple questions. Do you really think in light of serving, we'll get the money in a second. Of all the things you have going on in your busy calendar, that running from the people of God is going to be the thing that brings you rest. And in the same token now, people get stressed, they get anxiety, finances get tight. And instead of doubling down on Jesus, stepping out in faith, I mean, really like putting yourself in a position for a living God to actually have to be living now. I mean, really putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. Paying for gymnastics, paying for jiu-jitsu, paying for tumbling, paying for cheerleading. That's just my family. Paying for soccer. You really think of all the busyness in your life and all the things that you're tithing to to receive something. That not giving to the Lord is going to be the thing that brings you rest. See, there's a lot of spiritual disciplines that you can live out and not actually require any faith. But whenever it comes to finances now, it actually requires you to profess some faith in a living God. Because he's going to actually have to make something happen. And it's important to note here because there's a direct correlation between the joy of a Christian and the way that they give to the church body. There's a direct correlation. You show me a Christian that lacks joy and I'll show you a Christian that does not financially invest in the mission of God. Because there's no way you can like look around at all that the Lord is doing. Like in your life and the life of others around your neighborhood, in your city, the incredible things that the people of God get to accomplish. Be sowing into that, investing in that financially, and you just go, meh, about it. There's just no way. But it's very, very easy to go, I don't know who Mario is or who Paul is or why we get to do this or why we get to do that. It's very easy to lack a joy when those things are talking about when you're not financially sowing into the kingdom because you're not investing in the mission. Right? For those of you that invest in the room, you pay attention to what you invest in. Yes? And so it is with the church. Whenever you invest into the kingdom of God, you pay attention to it. You're looking for the trends. You're looking to see what's happening. What are other people doing? What are people talking about? You fully invest. Like finance is just a part of it. The call of the gospel is to invest your whole entire life into this thing. Right? Jesus didn't just give 10%. If he just gave 10%, there would be no salvation. He gives his life. That's the call of the gospel. He gives everything. And in so doing, whenever he gives his life, dies, resurrects, he sends you his whole spirit. He didn't just send you some pieces of the Holy Spirit to kind of help you float along the way. He didn't just kind of think about you as an afterthought and kind of throw you a little change here and there. No. He didn't put you on auto pay because it was convenient and you can just put it underneath auto deductions on your Excel sheet. No, the book of Hebrews says the joy that set Jesus to the cross The compensation he received because of his compulsion was the church. That's what it says. The very thing that led Jesus into and through the cross was the expansion of the gospel through the people of God for a millennia. And we're the ones, family, that get to look back across time and space and go, that actually happens. We're the only ones. Oh my gosh, we should give everything to that, yes? If that's true, how do we not give, rhetorical question, if that's true, how do we not give everything to that? Gosh, I'll invest in that all day, right? Now, <laughs> fitting moment for us as the gospel was not, that wasn't in my notes. Third point is it sort of depends, and it's fitting because it, it sort of depends if the guy on stage is willing to share the gospel or not. If he's not willing to preach the gospel, hey, here's a quote for you. If the pastor ain't pastoring, get him out. He's got to go. He does not deserve any compensation. It sort of depends. This is super important, okay? 1 Corinthians 9, 15 for you. Uh, but if I have, I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Uh, he's saying, I'm not writing this to you so to guilt you into giving me anything. Uh, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. That is, boasting, bragging on who Christ is. Verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. Uh, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Oh my gosh, if I was at a pastor's conference right now, y'all would be going nuts. Right. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel! Exclamation point. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, listen, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. He says, even if I don't want to, in the Greek, he says, even if I don't want to do this, I am a slave to the gospel. There is no other option for me on the table. What then is my reward. What is the reward, Paul? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He says, I don't have to ask you for any money because you don't actually give me anything. you sure you meet some of my needs, but Jesus Christ has fully met my needs. He says there is a compulsion here to, to preach. This is where the big idea, the compulsion must outweigh the compensation. Paul says there is a necessity That has been laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I am still entrusted. Even if I don't want to, he says. Even if I don't want to do it. I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. With a slavery is what he says. He's been saved by the gospel. Called by the gospel to preach and to proclaim the gospel. Paul literally says, right? He is enslaved. There's nothing else he could do. Oh man, how would your life look different, church family. If you viewed your career as a calling like that. How different would your work environment look? How organizations would be changed? I mean, just dream with me. Think about the things we could start. (laughs) It'd be unbelievable. One of my absolute all-time favorite quotes is, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. That is the calling that the Lord has given me. That is the calling that has led our elder statesman, Doran Rakers, to sob in the midst of reading this text I understand the compulsion uh, to preach. I used this as an illustration earlier. And it, it worked really well for me. I don't know if it worked well for them, but I'm going to stick to it. Anybody seen the movie The Covenant with Jake Gyllenhaal yet? Just two, three dudes? Okay, cool. <laughs> Short synopsis of that movie. Jake Gyllenhaal's in the military. He has an interpreter. The military promises the interpreter some things. Jake Gyllenhaal gets injured. The interpreter drags him across the desert for three consecutive weeks and across the mountains uh, for three weeks. The military does not follow through on what they said. And Jake Gyllenhaal is pleading now, pleading with this like, general or whatever uh, to do something about it. And he says two things. He says, if this is a debt that could be easily forgiven, do you not think that I would do that? And then he says, there has been a hook placed in me. There is a hook in me. And when I think about the call to gospel ministry, that's the way I think about it. Like, do you not think if I could do literally anything in that else in the world, I would do that? <laughs> I would. I didn't ask for this calling. The Lord woke me up one day. You all know my story. Woke me up out of a crazy life and called me to be a pastor. There was a hook that got placed in me that day. If I could shake that hook, I would shake that hook. But just as a fish cannot usually do that, so also neither can I. You are stuck with me. It is like through my ribs, not, it's, Leading me everywhere that I don't even know how to put words to it. If I could do anything else, I would. And the Lord has called me to do this thing. I want you to know today that there is a reality where while you might not be called to pastor, when you start viewing the world around you as a calling instead of a career, I want to tell you that the good Lord can put a hook in you, church family where you cannot wait to get to go preach the gospel. You cannot wait to be a minister of the gospel. All of a sudden, people you don't like a whole lot, you start to find compassion for. People you would rather not be around, you start to be more empathetic towards. When it comes to your money, it's no longer a motivator. You're like, no, this is what the Lord has given me so that I can be generous and I can advance the kingdom of God with his resources, with his time, with everything that he has to give me. And is that hook, man, that just pulls you and pulls you and pulls you into the present of God and as you begin to respond not to a career but to a calling in generosity all of a sudden now you begin to feel the presence of God it's not give more get more from the Lord it's no you're now in the mission once you get involved in the mission you start to see the opportunities everywhere around you man everything begins to shift and change and it happens through the power of the gospel there's this beautiful Charles Spurgeon quote that I messed up last service that hopefully they fixed for me this service, it says this If a man be truly called of God to ministry, I will defy him to withhold himself from it. A man who has really within him the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, what does it say? Sorry. Man who has in him really within him the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, calling him to preach cannot help it. He must preach as fire within the bones, so will that influence be until it blazes forth. Friends may check him, foes critique him, despisers sneer at him. The man is indomitable, that is unable to be defeated. The man is indomitable. He must preach if he has the high call of heaven. Yes, this is for the pastorate. I want you to hear me, though. It can also be true for you. You can be indomitable in the workplace, That's what the power of the ghost does. That's what the Holy Spirit does in concert with the word of God. You can be indomitable as it comes to your resources, your finances, your time, your calendar, your kids. When you begin to use all of that for the mission of God, we call that missional community. We do it not so that we get anything in return. We don't do it for a prosperity gospel. We do it because it's what Jesus modeled for us. He gave his life, his death, and we see in his resurrection, he was indomitable. And then he sends us the Holy Spirit. Not so we can sit around and do nothing all day, but rather so we can contribute to the mission of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you all stand with me? We'll take communion together and get our team out here. Uh, Every week, we take communion together as a family. And so I'll remind you, as I do every week, this is not a religious event. Uh, Partaking in communion together like this is what we call a redemptive event. Uh, It reveals and tells uh, the story of the gospel uh, this is also a time where we invite you to give of your financial resources whenever we remember to do so. We regularly forget to even mention tithes and offerings here, but we do take tithes and offerings. Turns out there's a box on either side of the stage or there's a QR code on your chair. Uh, I would invite you today, though, to respond. Okay, if you've not yet responded to the gospel uh, through giving a tithe, 10%, if you've not done that, I would in- invite you to do that today. Uh, it is clearly commanded here in the scriptures, all throughout the scriptures. Jesus talks more about money than he talks about seven, uh, sex, heaven, and hell combined. And so it's in there. I'd invite you to respond. I'd also invite you to respond in faith today because uh, perhaps you've not responded financially. I wanna invite you before you come up and take communion again uh, to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and do a little bit of work uh, to reveal who Jesus is on the cross for you, to reveal who the resurrected Christ is uh, for you, whenever the scriptures call you to give generously, sacrificially, and in proportion to your budget, I would pray that you would just ask the Spirit right now, like, what does the generosity of Christ really look like for me and my family? Uh, what does this get, look like to give sacrificially as Jesus gave sacrificially to me? And what does that look like in proportion? Because some of y'all are Jesus freaks. You're like, we can have everything. That's not what He's calling you to. I, I think 10% is the floor, not the ceiling, but that's a good place to start and stand. And for those of you that have given, I want to say thank you, man. You, The Lord has done an incredible work in our church body in the last nine years. I mean, just crushed it for us. Amen. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being a part of the mission. Uh, whenever you all come forward and eat, you'll see bread, which represents Christ's body. It was broken for you uh, in your place as your substitute uh, for your salvation. Uh, you'll simply see a cup here, which represents Christ's blood that was spilt in your place as your substitute um, for your salvation. And when you come up and partake in this, you get to just simply respond to the truth of the gospel, uh, that Jesus isn't waiting around for one of us to respond so he can get something done in the cosmos. turns out he's got all this stuff figured out for us. We just simply get to respond to him and play a role. And so 1 Corinthians 11 is what we read every week. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's what he gives. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. For those of you that are in Christ, this is a meal that's for you. Uh, Feel free to come forward when you're ready.